Have you ever heard someone say, I am a Christian, but I don't go to church? And really what they're saying is this, is that I've put my faith and my salvation in Jesus, I just don't connect to a local congregation or a local church. Essentially what they're saying is, I like Jesus, I just don't like his wife, right? I just can't stand his wife. That's really what they're saying. Come on, can you let that sit for a second? Yet, isn't it interesting that when we get into the word of God, God says, if you're going to be a growing believer, I want you to be connected to the church. And yet, to connect to the church, oh, it's so challenging. Why? Because the church is made up of imperfect people. Imperfect people that also want to grow in their faith. Imperfect people that want to change the world and make a difference. Imperfect people coming together. It's messy. Church is messy. It's hard to be a part of a church, is it not? Yet it's what God's plan is to change the world. He wants us to be connected to the church. You see, the whole reason the disciple John writes this letter, 1 John... It's because what was happening at that hour is that many people were abandoning their relationship with Jesus. Many people were walking away from the church. And yet there's some remaining. And he writes these words to encourage those who are remaining to stay the course. To stay faithful. Come on, if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to 1 John chapter 2. And as he's encouraging these people, I wonder which person would describe you. Someone who is walking away from your faith, walking away from the church, or someone who is remaining. Someone who is trying to persevere, even sometimes when it's hard. Well, hey, good morning to you. As you've already been welcomed today, I want to welcome you here to our Garrisonville campus during our summer series called Break the Routine. I want to shout out to our Fredericksburg campus and Pastor Andrew down there. And I want to welcome all of you watching online. Hey, listen, as, as we have this summertime together, I realize this is a, a time where a lot of people are traveling. And, and even as we travel, I want to start kind of the message with a visual here. Uh, how many of you are tea drinkers? Anybody like tea? Tea? Okay, there's some hands out there. And so sometimes when I want to make tea, especially when I preach and my voice is kind of scratchy, I love, there's nothing like hot tea. Now, as I think about this idea of tea, I think about all the many ways that people like to make their tea. Sometimes when you ask for some hot water, what you might do is you might dip a little bit, right? Some of y'all are dippers, right? <laughs> you like to dip your tea bag in and just kind of change it a little bit. Some of you will let it sit a little longer, and then you'll get a spoon, and you'll press against the spoon to get the rest of that out. But, but the best way to truly make some tea, come on, come on, is to what? Is just to drop it in and let it do its work. Come on, can we just all agree? Now, let's just kind of leave that there for a second. Now, listen, as I talk to my online crowd, I, I love that we have an online church and we're reaching out in that way. And if you're local, I love online, but every now and then you got to come, be present with us. But there's a lot of you right now watching. Would you right now tell us where you're watching from? 
No, don't tell us. No, you gotta tell us, tell us, tell us. Some of y'all are probably at the beach because a lot of vacations are already happening and you're watching us at the beach. Tell us that. I actually talked with somebody on Facebook yesterday and somebody's in India right now visiting their family and they're going to watch from India today. That's pretty cool, isn't it? To think that we're in India today. Come on, Mount Air, we have a campus in India right now. I mean, that's kind of cool to think about. But, but tell us where you're watching from. I think that's kind of powerful when we think about how God can use technology to bring us all together. Now, I want to say personally, thank you, church, for being this kind of church like Mount Ararat. Last weekend, I had 20 family members in from out of town, and at 9.30, they filled two rows right here. And, and you got to know something about my family. Uh, there are some family members of my family that they don't, they don't follow Jesus, and they're not connected to a local church. And so I'm always kind of interested of how they're going to engage when they come to Mount Ararat. I kind of like to watch the body language, too. But I will say this, they walked away just feeling loved by this church. They love you guys. Even though they don't go to church, they love the embrace of Mount Ararat. And they actually were intrigued by the passage God gave us to study last week. Now, I say it that way because this week we're in the part, the part of 2 John, the end of 2 John, where it talks about the Antichrist. I am so glad my family's not here this week. Can I just say that? Yeah, yeah, you're here, I'm here, and we're here together. And it's kind of exciting when I look at this passage, but this is one of those passages that's a little challenging to preach. And so now that you're good and comfortable and you're seated there, would you turn to your neighbor and ask them the question, say, are you the Antichrist? Ask them that. Yeah. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, no, but my mother-in-law is. Now, I'm joking today because my mother-in-law actually is going to be here today. So that's going to that's gonna be great lunch conversation later. But no, I actually love my mother-in-law. Love that she's here visiting her daughter, uh, my wife, and, and we're going to have a great time together. But this tension of the Antichrist, I think, is intriguing. So let's just start right here in verse 18. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. But even now, many antichrists have already come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Are you with the scriptures yet? John here is addressing this group of Christians and he calls them children. John the disciple is now much older in age and he sees his role to this local church, these local churches that he's writing to, and he calls them affectionately children. Come on, you're followers of Jesus, you're my children. Yet even in this, he refers to something else called the last hour. And what he's saying about this last hour, he is setting up the truth that, that they're in the final phase before Jesus returns again. Now, you and I can sit here 2,000 years later and said, why did John say that? Because Jesus obviously hasn't returned yet. Why? Did he get it wrong? Well, listen, what John was saying there didn't mean Jesus was going to return in his lifetime. He meant we're in that phase where nothing else needs to be done to obtain salvation. Jesus has already done it on the cross. And now we're in this final phase where God is waiting. 
He is waiting for more people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're still in that phase. What if God is waiting today for somebody here this morning, somebody watching online, what if God is still waiting on you? I love how Peter says this in 2 Peter. He says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. No, instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Come on, don't we have a good God that's willing to be patient? I love what Martin Luther, the great Reformation pastor, he says, live as Jesus was crucified yesterday, as he rose from the dead today, and he's returning tomorrow. It's as if he's trying to show us here that there's an urgency, there's an urgency, and we ought to live where our faith is a priority for our very lives. And so as I've asked the question today, since John is talking to churches, I ask you the question today, what is your criteria for choosing a church? You know, I started thinking about that. Maybe for us, we might say, oh, it's the music. That's what leads me to a church. Or maybe it's the preaching. Come on, it's the preaching, right? It's got to be the preaching, right? Or, or maybe it's the activities that the kids are involved in. Or it's the activities that students are involved in. But yet, we are consumers living in a consumer culture. And if we're not careful, we'll even choose a church based on our consumption. Are you with me? But I wonder if any of these items would make your list, my list, if we were choosing to go to a church. Look at this list real quick. Is Jesus Christ the center of the church's ministry? Come on. Are you kids involved with kids' ministry? Is Jesus the center of that? Student ministry, is Jesus the center of that? Come on. Bible study adults, is Jesus the center of it all? Do you regularly hear about the gospel? What's the gospel? That's Jesus, right? Come on, do you regularly hear about Jesus? Do you hear about the cross? Do you hear about the resurrection? Are you in a setting where we're inviting people to trust Jesus and only Jesus for salvation? Do you see how important this is? What's the importance of the Bible? Is, is, this, is, is your church you're going to, does it honor the word of God? And is the word of God being taught there in that church? And then the last one, look, or the last two, do the leaders pray? And is God at work? Come on. Are people meeting Jesus? Are people being baptized? Do people like each other enough to get into a group and study the word of God together? Do people give time? Do people give financially? Do people serve outside the walls of the church? Do you see this list as maybe a greater list? Now listen, if you're a guest here today, I would say this to you. Put Mount Ararat to that same test. And see if we pass that test for you. And if, and if you're a Christian, this list ought to matter. Would you agree today? And if you're not a Christian, but you're trying to figure out more about God, then this list ought to be important for you as well. And to me, as I think about this church here that John's writing to, and I think about our church here today, I think about what God wants to teach us today. And then we come to this strange part in the Bible where it talks about the Antichrist. And there's parts like this that's like, how is an outsider, someone that doesn't know Jesus, how are they going to understand this part of the Word of God? 
But to me, there's something here for all of us to learn and to work through. So let's just kind of start there again with these verses right out of the gate. Let's look at the word antichrist. The word antichrist. Actually, put that back up there. Antichrist right here. In this word antichrist, you get kind of this, kind of this idea of anti. I want us to see that first because to me, that's an that's important part of understanding this. Now, there's actually two definitions for anti. And here's the first definition. The definition means to be against. Now, we kind of get that when we see the word anti, against, anti, against, someone against Christ. That actually makes sense to us. And so when we start thinking about the Antichrist, we might think about some corrupt, self-serving leader. We might think about somebody that's actively teaching against God and against His Word. We might think about somebody who, who we just simply don't like, and we can put them in this category of being against God or against Christ, right? This idea of against, we get that. I even thought about poking fun. Because every generation is always trying to look at who's going to be that one, that one antichrist that's going to come in the end times. And every time we start looking at world leaders and think, maybe that leader is the one, right? You've heard this, haven't you? And, and I thought about poking at that, but then we've kind of even made it more contemporary and we make it about even sometimes politicians or we might even make it about a talk show host, you know what I'm talking about? And so we're so quick to try to put somebody in this category as we look towards the future. But I think that's actually sometimes too loaded and can take us way off course today. You see, the truth is, there are many who live against Jesus Christ, I hate to say. There are many that are living life against Jesus Christ. And yet John the disciple is the only one in the Bible that uses this word antichrist. Did y'all get that? And he uses it several times as he's writing here in these letters. Daniel talks about the prince of this world. Paul even talks about the lawless one. But only John uses the word antichrist. And you get to the book of Revelation, he talks about the beast, right? And yet, even in this, we, we see this tension of someone standing against God and against his ways. Yet, the Antichrist, God is trying to show us something here, even with this very word. Now, there's three layers to this, this theme of Antichrist. Let me go ahead and show this to you real quick. In this very verses that we're reading today, it could be the spirit, a spirit that opposes or denies Christ. And we get that. Or it could be false teachers who embody this spirit. We get that too. Yet it also says there is going to be one that will come. And this is this last one. The one who will head up the final rebellion against Christ. We typically focus on that more than the other two when we're looking at the theme of Antichrist. But John says, hey, look around. You already have Antichrist around you. Look around. People that were once walking with us, worshiping with us, have now abandoned and so he's trying to help us to see this has to do with a spirit. Now, the second half of the word antichrist, let's look at that word again. It's not against, but the second half of the word, and this is more interesting, I think, is, is in, instead of. Now, if we think about this one, it's a little bit different. If against is actively against, this is more the passive-aggressive approach to it all. You see it? Instead of means to substitute, counterfeit, 
something in the counterfeit place of Jesus. It means to look to other things to save us, other things to define us, other things to give our lives ultimate meaning. Yet many people who share, I'm not against Jesus, are not doing anything to actively worship Jesus. You see this? See, it's, it's like this recognizing this spirit, I think, is going to be important for us. Because instead of using Antichrist to judge someone around us, what if we actually use the word Antichrist to evaluate it within our own lives? Is there anything right now in my life that's leading me to be against God and His word and His ways? Is there anything right now in my life where I'm being tempted to sacrifice my convictions... To look for life somewhere else instead of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, is this preaching to somebody today? Does this make sense yet? I want us to see the instead of, because to me sometimes this is the more subtle way that we get our eyes and we get our hearts and we get our lives further away from God. So what John is doing here, he shifts us from looking to the who it is to looking to the what it is. And this spirit of the Antichrist, I believe, is alive and well. Actually, the Antichrist spirit has been alive in the world since Satan declared war against God. And now many have decided, John says, to give up their faith, to give up their relationship with Jesus, and to give up on the church. Yet there's this remnant of people who have remained. And this is what John's trying to help them to see. He's trying to write them this first letter to encourage them. He says, when you know who you are, you will what? You'll know what to do. He's trying to point them to say, your true identity is found in a relationship with Jesus. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And that means your purpose now will be a new purpose. Because you're living for something. You're living for someone greater. Greater. And I just want to ask you today, is the Antichrist spirit alive in our world? And maybe more personally, is the Antichrist spirit alive right now in your life? We got to go there. We got to go there. Aren't you glad you came to Mount Ararat in the summer? Come on. I mean, first John, giving it to us straight. But there's something about it. Come on, I'm going to say straight like I always do with coffee. Today I got tea for you, right? But as we look at the word of God, let's just keep reading here in verse 20. Look what it says here. He says, but you, come on, you that have remained, you have an anointing. And this anointing is from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Key words there. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. Because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? That's the question. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ and such a person is the Antichrist. You see, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. You see, the goal of the Antichrist is to lead people away from the truth, to lead people away from Jesus, and to lead people away from the church Yet John gives us the antidote. I love it. John gives us the antidote. Let's just look here at verse 20 again. I was supposed to erase that. Look at this real quick. Verse 20 again. What does he say here? Here's the antidote. You have what? You have what? You have the anointing. 
That anointing is so key. Do you know in the Old Testament, they often anointed during such special services. They would anoint people with oil. And usually when they anointed people with oil, it was because they were going to be set apart for a special purpose. Sometimes that purpose was to be a priest, sometimes to be a prophet, sometimes to be a king. But you were special if you got anointed with oil. And what John is saying here, because of what Jesus did when he came to the earth, now every Christ follower, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that surrenders to Jesus, you have been anointed. And you've been anointed by the Holy One. Isn't that good? You've been anointed and set apart for a special purpose. That's what God is trying to tell the Christian. And all of you know the what? The truth. To me, that is so key to what this is all about. So key to understanding this idea of the truth. Let me ask you a question. Does the truth matter? I guess I better ask Fredericksburg. Hey, Fredericksburg, does the truth matter? Garrisonville, does the truth matter? Come on, we live in a culture, we live in a culture where truth is really irrelevant. You know what the highest premium in our culture is? It's not what you believe, it's just how sincere you believe it. Is sincerity really a magic ingredient that makes a lie worthy? Or does the truth really matter? Does it really matter? You know, when I see how confused we are, I even think about it kind of in a visual like this. Listen, I don't care how much you want to believe a lie. Listen, if you want to get to Florida and you go I-95 north, listen, you can believe that. You can be sincere in believing that. And you can drive as if you believe that. Can I tell you this? You're further away. You're further away from Disney World the longer you drive. Because it doesn't matter what you believe, if it's not true, it doesn't matter. You're just more miles away, and we call that lost. Are you with me yet? Yeah, we live in a culture that says, oh, as long as you really believe it, that's all that matters. And I'm here to tell you the Word of God doesn't agree with that. It's what is true that makes a difference and what makes a, true, a difference with driving makes a difference in faith too. If, if you came to break the routine, then you've already kind of picked up on, on some of John's writing styles, right? He's talking about how we're going we're gonna to walk with Christ. What does he say? If you went to chapter 1, we said this already. Look at this fill in the blank real quick. A believer must walk in the light. That's what we talked about first, right? Walk in the light. And then he went on to say a believer also must walk in in the love. Well, here in chapter 2, he says that we must walk in the truth. And this is so key to walk, walking in a relationship with Jesus. And what I love about John's writing style, he gives the contrast here. He says, if you're not walking in light, you're walking in what? Darkness. Come on, you got that right. If you're not walking in love, you're walking in Hey, you got that right. If you're not walking in truth, then you're walking in the error of your ways. You've missed it. It's like this tug of war is happening here. And, and God wants us to get it through John's letter here. This idea of light, this idea of love, this idea of truth. It actually does matter. And so we look at it and we understand it. But are we walking in it? Are we walking in it? Hey, listen, last summer... I was, I was performing a wedding a few hours away. And to kind of back up, 
this couple that I was doing the wedding for, uh, this young couple went off to college, and they met in college, and while they were in college, both of them, both of them have an encounter with Jesus Christ. They both get strong in their faith, and now they're dating, and now they're engaged, and they come to me, and they said, Pastor, would you do our wedding for us? I said, absolutely. So through premarital counseling, as we sat down together to prepare for that day and beyond, uh, what came out in there is, is, is that the, 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 future, the future groom had grown up in a Christian family, but yet came alive in his faith in college. What came out about the future bride is that she grew up in a family that really didn't practice any religion, and yet she goes to college and she gets on fire for Christ. Now, she also shared with me that her dad, while she was in high school, began to return back to his Muslim roots. Yet no one in the family really followed him in that path. Here we are now about to have this wedding for this young Christian couple. So a couple hours away from here, there was a venue. And I showed up at this wedding and I performed this wedding ceremony. And then after the wedding ceremony, before the reception, the father of the groom, who they, they're the ones that invited me to come do this wedding for their kids, came over to me and said, Pastor, you just need to know the father of the bride is very, very, very upset with what just happened in that ceremony. And I said, really? He said, yeah, he's very angry. And what kind of came out is this, is that this man, this man that's now walking in his Muslim faith, I, I, I guess was embarrassed in front of his family members that came to this wedding and they witnessed this Christian ceremony. So he kind of gave me a heads up and I finished by praying before the dinner and like I often do because there's a couple hours to get back and I needed to preach the next day on Sunday is I got done praying and as soon as I got done praying I told the family goodbye and I made my way out to my Jeep out in the parking lot and as I was walking out the father of the bride and some other relatives start to walk out with me. Now again, I'm a pastor but I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's like... What's about to go on here? What's about to happen here? This is not looking good. Yeah, I for Team Jesus, right? But I'm like, oh, what's going to go? But, but I'm walking to my car. My heart's beating pretty fast. And that man said, hey, stop. I want to talk to you. I said, okay. And I turned around. And he begins to get really angry, pointing his finger, and telling me how wrong I was in this wedding ceremony. And as he was telling me why he felt it was wrong... He said, you need to go back to school. You need to learn more about the Muslim faith. So the next time you do a Muslim wedding, you'll be a little bit more sensitive to the Muslims that are here. And I said, well, excuse me, sir. I don't do Muslim weddings. He said, I said, I don't do Muslim weddings. That's not what I'm in this for. I said, I'm so sorry. Obviously, I've offended you. And as we stood toe-to-toe -to, -toe to each other, I said, I can ask one more question, can I? I said, let me ask you this. What about the ceremony offended you? I just want to know. to Help me learn as a pastor. And you know what he said? That part, that part in the vows, that part in the vows where you said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to know, we all have the same God. We all this, we're all that. And that bothered me when you started saying, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I just said, wow, okay, thank you. 
And I said, I apologize if I offended you with my truth. I said, what I do know is this. My goal today was to honor God and to honor the bride and the groom. And I really believe I did that. But I still wanted to show this man some grace in front of his relatives there. I shook his hand. I get back in my Jeep. Oh boy, for the next two hours, I'm driving home. But you know what I I came to realize? I'm going to share it again with you right here in this verse because I want you to see it again. Look at this verse right here. Come on, put it back up there. No one who denies the what? The son. No one who denies the son has the, the father. You either believe that or you don't. Is that true? Listen, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You either believe that or you don't. Look at what John said back in the Gospel of John. John chapter 10. Look what he says here. He gives us this verse. He says, he says I give, this is Jesus' words. He quotes him. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. My Father, look at this. Who has given them to me is greater than all. Watch this part. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are what? One. Do you believe that today? Then listen to me. There is, listen, I don't mean to be harsh, but I do mean to be direct here. Because even as Christians, we are, we are watering it down and we're missing the strength of what God's saying. There is no such thing as a Muslim Christian. There is no such thing as a Mormon Christian. There is no such thing as a Jehovah Witness Christian. There is no such thing as a universalist, universalist church Christian. i got to say it that way because I'm here to tell you we're losing that in our culture. I'm here to tell you. Jesus says there's one way. It is exclusively through me, but it's inclusively for all who will believe. And I want us to see this. I want us to know this because we're living in a day, we're living in an hour where this age of tolerance wants to say all faiths are the same. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. It's not true. And actually to believe that, you're going to miss what life is all about. The Bible says, have you accepted Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ as Lord? Life is found in surrendering to Jesus. Any other teaching is a false antichrist teaching. And I think we've got to get back with that. We've got to understand that. And I realize... As we put this out there on social media, there's going to be more people ready to go, Pastor, I want to meet you in the parking lot. I get it. I get it. This is not popular to say in our hour when we all want to embrace everything and say everything's the same. But Jesus doesn't say everything's the same. And we got to stop saying everything is the same. Let's keep reading here. Look at this. 1 John, verse 24. As you see, as for you, see that... What you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us. Eternal life. I'm writing you these things about those who are trying to lead you astray. But as for you, the anointing, there it is again. 
The anointing that you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Remain in him. This word remain has shown up a lot in what I read today. Can I show you what that word remain looks like? Let me show you this. It's from the Greek word meno, but the definition of it means to continue, to continue to be present. Not depart, but to stay connected. Better yet, abide. I love this word remain, abide. You want to get a good definition of it? Go read John chapter 15. It talks a lot about abiding, abiding, remaining, remaining. If you remain in me, if you remain in me, if you remain in me. It's this. You know what this word remain really looks like? You know what it looks like? Listen, I just recently saw a a message by Tony Evans where he talked about this theme of abide. And you know what he says? He says some people are just dippers. Just dip it in a little bit, just to get a little bit. And some are pressers with a spoon. He said, but you want to get good tea, you want to get strong tea, guess what? Drop it in and let it remain in the water and let it do its work. Come on, is this going to give somebody something today? Is this going to give us a good visual today? Because I, I want you to see this. I want you to experience this. Because listen, if the Antichrist is trying to lead you and me away from the truth, if he's trying to lead you and me away from Jesus, if he's trying to lead you and me away from the church, then what do you think God's trying to do? The opposite. God is calling you and I to what? To remain, to remain in Jesus, to remain in the Holy Spirit, right? To remain in the Word of God, to remain in the church because God wants to do something in us. And and you got to see this, you got to understand this because Because the spirit of the Antichrist is strong, but the Holy Spirit is stronger. And I want you to hear that. I want you to feel that. And listen, listen, the longer you leave the tea bag in, the stronger the tea becomes. It's the same for your faith and my faith too. God is calling you and I to remain. To remain. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back out. And even as they come back out, I I know some of you, this has upset your apple cart today. I get it. But I think there's something so strong in God's word today. Can I just tell you this? Don't don't use a message like this to go out of here and start judging everybody in your life and calling them antichrist. How about instead, use a message like this and evaluate your own heart. And ask the question right now in an honest way. Whether you call yourself Christian or not, am I living my life against God? Am I living my life against God? Here you go. Right now in my life, am I turning to something else? Am I turning to someone else to find my life to find my identity, to find my, you complete me, or am I looking to Jesus Christ first? Or am I looking to something instead of Jesus? This is the real evaluation of our hearts today. And to me, God wants us to look in. 
He wants us to ask the questions. Listen, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. I get that. But the question is, personally, is the spirit of the Antichrist controlling you right now? Only you can answer that question. But the good news is God's given us the antidote. God says, I want to anoint you. I want to anoint you with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to anoint you with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want to anoint you, is what he says. Are you willing to surrender to that anointing? Are you willing to let God give you the truth? And to know that God has been patiently waiting for you to get to this point in your life to say, I surrender, I give up. Jesus, you are what I need in my life. God, I give you my life because I want, I want, I want to be set apart for the purpose that only you could have through me. God is speaking today to the unbeliever and he's saying, would you trust me? Would you go there today with me? Would you come and experience what I can do and what only I can do in your life today? Let me do it. Let me do it for you. Let me do it in you. Listen, God wants to work in us. God wants to work through us. Are we willing to let him do that today, Christian? Are we going to let this world lead us to take our eyes off of Jesus? Man, this is an on-time word today for our modern-day age and time. God is speaking right now to us. So Christian in the room, what do you need to confess? What do you need to turn away from? That's called repent. I know who you need to turn back to. It's the one and only, Jesus. Come on, bow your heads and your hearts with me. Father God, thank you for the experience that we're having here today. Because today, God, you are inviting us to to come close to you. Father, today, because we're a church that's for the one, for one more, God, I believe there's somebody in this room, there's somebody at Fredericksburg, there's somebody online that has never surrendered to you. And maybe they have dabbled in being a Mormon or Jehovah Witness or even Muslim or maybe nothing at all. But God, today, today you have knocked on the door of their heart and they realize that Jesus, you are the one and that you love them. You're not against them, but you're for them. And today they could begin a relationship with you. Because we're a church that's all about the good news, I'm just wondering today, God, if you created this whole service to invite that one person to come experience good news in a personal way. If you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, would you just simply talk to God in a prayer? I'll give you the words. Here you are. Say, God, today the light is shining in my life. God, today your love is shining in my life. God, today your truth is shining in my life. I am lost, heading in a wrong direction. And today I declare, I need Jesus. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. 
I need a Lord. So you lead me, God. I'm yours, and I'm all in. Praise God. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, I want to celebrate with you. I want to celebrate with that one person today that just gave their life to Jesus. Oh, today, today, everything changes because of your surrender to Him. I want to know who you are, and I want to give you something personal to help you on your first day as a Christian, but I got to know who you are. Right here today in this room, right down at Fredericksburg, if you just prayed, you just gave your life to Jesus right here today, would you show me? Here's how you're going to show me. Right now, right now, raise your hand high. Raise your hand high and say, Pastor, that was me. Come on, put your hand up. Hold it up. Hold it up and keep it up until we get to you. Praise God. Both campuses, praise God. Right there online. You just click that button and say, Pastor, I just gave my life to Jesus. That was me today. You, you shared good news to me, and today I just gave my life to Jesus. God, I pray for the believers today. Because God, as we close out this service, some of us are going to walk out of here with some conviction. We've allowed the spirit of the Antichrist to control us. We've taken our eyes off of you, Jesus. We've stopped submitting to your ways, Holy Spirit. And we're not living in the truth. Right now, we're living in some lies. God, we confess today that we're wrong. And we confess today, Jesus, you're right. And today, we surrender our lives to you. Confessing our need for you. God, help us in this world to remain connected to you, to the Holy Spirit, to your word, and to your church. Help us to abide in you today, in Jesus' name. Amen? Come on, let's stand and sing together. And there'll be a day when my hope
Usually pastor goes so long, but we got a few more minutes. And I just feel like that's a testimony people need to be reminded of. Come on, Amazing Grace, will you all sing it with us? Will you sing it with us? Come on, come on, come on, come on. good. <laughs> hey, if you made a decision for Jesus today, or if you need prayer about something you heard about, I want to invite our prayer team up front here. Uh, they want to pray for you guys. A uh, quick reminder, um, today at three o'clock in the chapel, uh, we are going to have a meeting for our Fredericksburg campus. Uh, pastor uh, Todd Gaston, Pastor Andrew uh, Segri, and our financial pastor Brian Bennett, along with the elders, are going to be there to answer your questions, hear your concerns, and hopefully hear your excitement. You guys have an awesome week. Let's go be the church.